Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I am your host, Ken Seymour. This week, we have a fantastic guest on with us, somebody that helps to make some of the things that we love and does so in the behind the scenes area, which is kind of one of the areas that interest me the most. We have the co-founder of Electric Entertainment, Rachel Olchan. Welcome. Thanks, Ken. I am super excited to have you on. Uh, you've helped, uh, you've had a hand in several projects that I've been uh, very fond of over the years. And uh, I, I really appreciate uh, taking the time to come talk to us. Uh, I say us because my co-host is usually here, but he, he sometimes, uh, he hides. He's not here right now. <laughs> um, well, it's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Um, so my first question, I like to always start out the the industry that you're in is so wide and varied that people can come into it from just a, a, an, an array of different directions. So I always love to know, what is it that really inspired you to get involved in uh, movie and television production? Um, well, actually, I knew from a very young age that this is what I wanted to do. I always loved I loved TV and films but I also was kind of obsessed with old black and white movies even when I was eight nine um, even younger um, I always had a fascination I had a fascination with gone with the wind when I was in high school but I was obsessed about how they made that movie and I started reading books about David O. Selznick that was so I knew I wanted to be a part of that world. I didn't know exactly in what form, but I I knew. So there wasn't really a question for me. Um, you know, am I going to be a doctor or a lawyer? Am I, you know, I just wanted to get out to Hollywood <laughs> and get a job. I like it. Yeah. So you were exposed to then uh, a fairly wide array of media. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we get uh, introduced to, to different levels. And you said you liked a lot of the black and white. Were you more a fan of some of the, the silent film era, maybe something from the 40s and 50s? What, what really was your favorite genre back in the day? Definitely not silent. Um, it was more the mainstream you know, Casablanca and, you know, anything with Rita Hayworth, um, anything with Joel McRae, anything Alfred Hitchcock. Nice. And my mom, I have to say, was influential too, because she would also, um, you know, back when people watched television, <laughs> broadcast TV, they would have a special airing of them you know the giant ant movie from the nice. 50s and my mom would say to us kids oh we have to watch this you're gonna love this you know so she would put us in front of the tv and we would watch that she had me watch birds alfred hitchcock the birds and oh you know my mom would say oh this is a really good one it's scary and you're gonna like this one so <laughs> it was it was just stuff that was on television. Oh, I also loved those old Sinbad movies that they would show on, right. you know, Sunday afternoons. Um, and then as I got older and when I'd be babysitting, I would babysit a lot when I was even 12, 13 and all through high school. 
and it would be a Saturday night or a Friday night late and you're sitting, all the ki- the kids are in bed and you're, the parents aren't home yet and you're scrolling through broadcast TV, 13 channels. And sure enough, every time I babysat, there was some old movie being played and I just would sit and watch it and I loved it. Well, and there's so many gems from, from back in that era because it was, it was a time of exploration and you know they they were new to the in, uh, the industry didn't even really exist they were developing uh the tools as they went along and didn't have some of the the crutches that uh, current day uh, allows us to use uh, i i even some of the comedy seeing the adaptations of the vaudevillian productions into a film format was just a joy i was a huge uh, marx brothers fan so seeing yeah. seeing that sort of thing, the old Ma and Pa kettle and, uh, yeah. and that sort of thing is just fantastic. So how does that translate, this love of older movies and television and the industry? How does that translate into a plan for you going into the industry? You say you moved out to Hollywood. Does that mean that I'm taking some courses in college or I'm just jumping in feet first? Well, that's, that's actually a really good question because when I talk to young people, people that whether it's interns coming to our office or college kids that are trying to figure out what they want to do. Um, I went to the university of Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut. I went to the university of Connecticut. Um, it's not like they had a real film program or business of television. There was nothing like that. So the closest thing you had to pick a major when you were a freshman, like day one, you had to pick a major, even though they tell you, you don't need to decide what you want to do with the rest of your life. Oh yeah. But on day one, you have to pick your major. So I picked communications because it was really the closest thing to what I wanted to do. I looking back now, knowing what I know now, first of all, I don't even know that I would go to college. Don't tell my mom I said that, but, but really it well that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast interview but if i knew then what i know now i probably would have majored in english or language or international studies or political science or just something interesting that you know could help in other arenas or geography or something but anyway i majored in communications knowing that it was just the closest thing um, to get, you know, into the industry. Um, There were a couple film courses at the University of Connecticut. I'm still friends with my film professor. He opened my eyes to like Frank Borzaghi and Anthony Mann and Westerns and other and film noir and all this. stuff. It was more, um, but it was, it was just a, watching the movies, creative, appreciating the film. So again, it just, it just inspired my passion more for loving the content, the material. Um, after college, I moved back home to Easton, Connecticut. And like a week later, I picked up the newspaper, the local newspaper, the Westport News, help wanted section to get a job and create, first of all, that's... <laughs> It's crazy that that's yeah. what I did. But crazier than that was there was actually a help wanted ad for Westport, Connecticut, the town next to where I grew up, looking for an intern at a television production company. 
that was based in Westport, Connecticut. That's cool. And it was so cool. So I applied for the job. I got it. I ended up working there for three years. They did this cool outdoor adventure show on public television. So it was like this, this old house of the outdoors. It was called Trailside Make Your Own Adventure. Um, very small production company, but editors came in from New York City. Producers came in from New York City and were making this show. So I got some good experience. But I, I had this itch to get out to Los Angeles because that's where it's happening. Um, so I, at 24, I packed up my stuff and I shipped it out. And my best friend had already moved out because she was trying out the acting thing. So she was like, you can live with me. And, and I left. And, um, you know, back then it was, it was 1996. Um, it took me a while to find a job, but it certainly isn't like it is now. It was, you know, fairly easy. Um, and my other um, advice to young people starting out in Hollywood, and even if they don't know what direction they want to go, or if they do know, get an assistance position at an agency, a production company, or a studio, or be a PA on set. Like, that's a good way to start. And I got an assistance job at Creative Artists Agency. Um, Dean Devlin was a client there. Um, I had one small stint before I got my job as Dean Devlin's second assistant. Um, I worked for another producer before that. And then I, I got my job with Dean in 1997 and I've been working for him ever since. So that was like, that's a condensed version of the path. And all along, you know, figuring and learning in my mind, like I, at seven years old, I didn't know producer was a job, but obviously as the journey progressed, it's like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to produce. So. Well, it sounds like you had the, uh, the right, the right person to, to kind of potentially learn from. Was it, was it that kind of a dynamic as, uh, as an assistant? Is it one of those things where you can get exposed to, the tools that you will need to succeed in being that next level in the industry? It totally depends who you're working for. In my case, the answer is yes. I'm very lucky because first of all, Dean is the kind of producer who really does the job and his, he's involved in every step of the process from development production, post-production, and even the nitty-gritty details of post-production, music, visual effects, reviews, all that, marketing, promotion, publicity of the product, international distribution of the product, exploiting the product beyond the initial, you know, premiere of the product, what else we're going to do, merchandising, licensing, all of it. So he is such, he's so hands-on and he creates a very open environment to involve everyone. He's not shut off with the information, which a lot of people, not just producers, but a lot of people, not just in Hollywood, in any company, feel like, ooh, if I keep all the info to myself, that'll save my job or, you know, 
I won't be expendable or whatever. But so I started as Dean's second as assistant because there was so much work going on. He needed two assistants at that time. And then I worked my way up to the first assistant. And yes, you are exposed to every document that Dean has to read or sign, you know, and you read it so that when you're handing it to him, you know what you're handing him and you can explain to him, you know, the lawyers reviewed this or the marketing department saw this. Um, the three other people that had to see it before you already signed off, here's their notes. Now it's your turn. It's confirmed. Like, so you are encouraged to watch everything, read everything. And then just by osmosis, yes, you gain all that information. And then you're in meetings before you know it. You're on phone calls. You're handling stuff that he can't handle because there's too much to handle. So it's like, you do it. And then years go, a couple of years go by. And then all of a sudden you're, you are producing. Um, what Dean has always said to me and, and, or he's, you know, we say this to people interviewing for jobs, like, if you want to be a producer, produce me. So you're interviewing, you know, someone to be an assistant to a producer you show me you can produce me and my life and my workload. And that's a step in that direction because that's all it is. It is organizing information. It's communicating with people. It's making sure other people are communicating. It's getting information from point A to point B and being two steps ahead so that you don't have to wait for the question to be asked, you know? Well, and and this is this is something that um, uh, I had more of a broader question about this, but I, I'll, I'll try and uh, refine it down just a little bit. Coming at this from the consumer of the product, uh, we are kind of trained to focus on certain things. Uh, other than the actual end product itself, we are, are trained to think about the director. We're trained to think about the the actors that are involved, and then when we see the other production crew we see the titles but we don't really necessarily understand what each of them means and mm -hmm. we get kind of this this general idea with a with a producer well, what what is a producer i mean what does that really mean and, and most people think well it's the person that gets the money right that's that's what they do and it could mean that actually and and the and also for television and film it's a little different um one of the main distinctions between just the producer title, just the word producer, in a feature film, that is the top title for a producer. You are the producer of the film. Even though you would think executive producer sounds, oh no, that person's the boss. No, tech, usually the executive producer of a feature film are the money people. So That's you, where you got the money from or some other relationship. It's not the person who was day in and day out living the, the development of the project all the way through to fruition that for a feature film is produced by um, in television executive producer is the most important credit. It's the, the showrunner is the executive producer Um Dean Devlin, who is also a showrunner, but that he is the executive producer. His, his fingerprint is on 
every aspect of the TV series. So it, it, that that distinction in between film and television is different. And then and then you get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, you know, in a feature film, sometimes you'll throw a co-producer credit to somebody who helps um, negotiate the optioning of the thing, but they really didn't do any work, but that was part of their deal. Or in my case, my first producer credit was on the first librarians movie with Noah Wiley that we did. I got associate producer because that's when that relationship with Dean. And I remember having the conversation with him. I mean, there was like four people in our office at that time, electric entertainer five. There was, it was Dean, me, Mark Roskin, Curie Peak, And I think one assistant, or it was something like that, but it was, I was doing so much work. So I was like, Dean, I need my own, assi- like I need an assistant. So <laughs> we ended up getting an assistant and like Dean and I were kind of sharing and it was, that was my gradual Get, getting the producer credits, but I got that associate producer, which is usually your first step in that growth. You get associate producer if you're doing it that way, not because you're the money guy or a friend or somebody's wife or, you know, that, or somebody could have helped you um, get an actor because they had a relationship with an actor and they got you. So, you know, stuff like that. There's, there's different reasons for different things different producer credits well and that's, that's it's a mystery it is a, it's a mystery sometimes right and, and that, that's the thing that i really enjoy i that's some of the meat that i feel like that we miss because you know there's been a lot of interest in uh, in in resurgences of uh, movie casts coming back together and reading again or uh, casts of television shows coming back and putting on a special or whatever but the the real the real interesting thing to me is but what are the relationships what are the, what's the bedrock that this was actually created from and we just don't get that vision it just stays in in a place that we don't really have access to for the most part and it's, it's I think I think most people don't realize how hard it is to get product made television film and i don't even call it it's content now because tv it's not tv it's platforms this and people will write a feature film script and you break it down into seven episodes for hbo max or whatever it's content but i don't it is really hard to get i mean there's projects that are in development for 10 years i mean even our new leverage redemption show which is based on the original um, it's been almost 10 years. It's hard to believe. I've lost, and that's another thing I'm bad at. I'm very bad at when you say, how long ago is that? I honestly don't know. I have to go look at IMDb TV credits because I lose track of time because there's just so much. It's just, we're in the work. We're in it, you know? Right. Like, I don't know. Was Flyboys 15 years ago or eight or 20? I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and if you're depending upon IMDb, they're quite good. Uh, yeah. occasionally their dates are slightly off. Some of the information isn't always, uh, what it, what it is. I've, I've, um, I've engaged in foot and mouth syndrome a couple of times from, <laughs> from trying to list information that I found from some of these sources. So, okay. The, one of the things that intrigues me uh, about 
um, the company that you are uh, a big. Are you are you hearing that uh, buzz at all? A little bit. Is that me? Bit. I don't know who that is. I'm just gonna put a note. It sounded like a creaky chair, maybe. Maybe I'm gonna say it's at the 20 minute point. Okay, let me just type that down and I'll pop back in with some edits after. See if we can. You can cut out anything. That's yeah. great. Yes, it's it's one of the nice things about not doing it live. If this was live, yeah. uh, <laughs> it'd be completely different. Yeah. Um, but okay, so I'll just start over from that question. So being part of an organization, uh, being a, a founding part of an organization like Electric Entertainment, it it presents an interesting question in my mind. It does not feel like a normal production company. It almost has um, a level of camaraderie, a level of feeling of family that I haven't seen in a lot of other uh, companies. Could you speak to maybe what led to that, what led to the, the creation of the company and is it is it part of kind of the mission statement of, of how you put things together that creates this environment? Absolutely. It is a very conscious decision on Dean's part. He created Electric Entertainment specifically for the reasons that you said, and it's, you know, it's great that you've observed it um, and other people's other people do as well. Like when they start working for us or if they're visiting or whatever, um, obviously Dean has worked in the studio system for a really long time. He made some of the biggest movies out there. Um, I did get a chance. To, I was his assistant during some of that and it was great experience and, you know, there's pros and cons to it, but um Dean wanted to create his own independent company where in a sense, family came first, you know, family within the company and also family outside the company. We all have lives. Um, Dean acknowledges that um, we, you know, we're a small company. We're not necessarily going to pay the highest salaries because we can't, you know, our business model is, based on our shows and what we do, we don't have a development fund coming from some big studio. So, um, but we have a lot of pros in our company that if you need to get home for your kids graduation from nursery school, that's okay. Or, you know, all that. So Dean is, I think one of the, the number one attributes of Dean is he's loyal there's a lot of us at this company that have been there for a really long time. I've been working for him for 24, almost 24 years. Um, Mark Roskin's been there that long, Mark Franco. So Dean likes to surround himself with the people he knows that he trusts, not only, you know, trusts, but trusts to get the job done. Um, and then it grows from there and you hire more people like that. You surround yourself and then it moves to our productions too. the directors we have on board, the writers, the crew, the cameraman, the DP, our costume designer, our production designer. These are all people we work with over and over and over again. Um, and yeah, it all comes down to Dean. He created that environment on purpose. So how... How does this 
when you've got a, a, a company that has its fingers in so many different areas uh, between uh, documentaries and television shows or, or uh, movies, podcasts, how do you approach some of these projects? Is there is there a difference in how you kind of conceptualize and execute some of these that some of our uh, listeners may not know? You know, I don't, that's a very good question. I don't think, for me personally, I don't think the approach is different. So if we're gearing up and getting into prep on a TV series, there's things happening. There's communication, you're hiring your line producer, you're figuring out where you're going to shoot. It's, you know, all that. So, and then with the podcast, it might be on a smaller scale, but, um, and I might not be the point person producer on it, but that person in house that's handling it um, is figuring out, okay, where are we shooting this video podcast? Is the mixing stage going to be available? Is it going to cost us any money? Are we scheduling interviews, all that stuff? So I think the, the approach is always the same. The interesting thing too about our company, it all comes down to Dean is, um, you know, we are a genre entertainment company. Obviously that's our focus. That's what we're really good at. But if Dean falls in love with a project and it falls outside our wheelhouse, we're going to do it. So um, the documentary that you mentioned, Who Killed the Electric Car?, um, and we all were very passionate about that. And um, frankly, I think he was ahead of his time. But um, there was another project. Was, I just remember being in, we were in one of our meetings. We have weekly development meetings. We have weekly acquisitions meetings because we also acquire a third party products and distribute it as well. And we like to, you know, keep within the wheelhouse, but sometimes a project will come our way there was this beautiful independent film out of Israel that was in Hebrew and Tagalog. <laughs> okay. And Dean announced one day at a development meeting, this is years ago, um, we're going to be distributing this movie. And he pitched this and we all looked at him. Are you crazy? Who's going to watch a movie that's in Hebrew? <laughs> it's like, Israeli and Filipino and and sure enough, he goes, watch the movie. Everybody needs to watch the movie. And sure enough, it was a beautiful, heart-wrenching, wonderful movie. And we got behind it, we distributed it. And um, you know, it doesn't fit into Electric's, you know, identity, but we're proud of it, we love it, and it's there. Um, so that approach had to be a little different. Okay, how do we and we tried to get, you know, um, it's screened for awards and all that. We're used to, you know, action, adventure, genre stuff. Okay, you know, maybe we're gonna work with different people on this one that know this world of, you know, getting independent films seen by reviewers and possible awards nominations for Oscars, you know. Um, you just pivot. That's part of being a producer during the day on set, during prep, whatever um so it's it's almost like being a catch almost like being a catch-all right yeah catch-all and i was gonna say we pivot a lot with dean he likes to keep, <laughs> he keeps us on i mean dean 
thinks outside the box. You know, we have our projects that we love, we, we're proud of librarians, leverage, you know, all sort of bad Samaritan, all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, you know, the podcast, but also we're starting, we have an OTT platform. We have an app, Electric Now, that came out of, that was Dean. He's like, this is what we're doing. This is the future. And, and yeah, to be honest with you, sometimes we're like, are you crazy? I say it, I don't just say it behind his back, I say it to his face. And the most frustrating part about that is he ends up being right most of the time. I don't want to say all the time, but, you know, he leads us on these crazy paths and um, he ends up being right. Well, <laughs> it's that the app thing, the, elect, uh, the electric entertainment app. You, know, you, you yeah. have to find a way to find the people where they are, right? That's kind of like the, the, the tool of social media. Uh, speaking of, yeah. if you need yeah. to know about the pudding guys on social media, listen to this. Don't forget, pudding people, to catch us on all of our social media to keep up to date with what's going on in the world of pudding. Where are you most active, Richard? Well, you could see some of my activity on our Instagram account. <sighs> Would that happen to be? At Pudding Guys? That one would, yes. Amazing. You know what? That is also our Facebook. So you can, about once a month, <laughs> see, see if you're lucky. Something. If you're lucky, we'll post something on Facebook. We're probably most, most on Twitter, at Real Pudding Guys. But, of course, you can catch us on Patreon as... Pudding Guys. That's right. Where for just $1 a day, you can support us as we bring you new interviews, new material, new stuff to make our interviews and material look better. It's just fantastic for only a dollar a month. Hey, Paul, a dollar's not a lot. No, it's, not really. It really isn't. That's actually $12 over the course of a year. Right. Small change to help the Pudding Guys keep going. So, all right. We talked about uh, some of the some of the flexibility that you have to have as a producer. I I have this feeling that due to the due to the the myriad different things that you have to do as part of your job, I expect that there are probably some unforeseen uh, benefits as well as unforeseen obstacles that you that you have to deal with kind of day in and day out. What is maybe your favorite part of what you do? You know, it's probably changed over the years because when I was young and single, the travel was so much easier and, you know, obviously it was exciting and all that. And I, but I was single and young <laughs> and um, so it was like, and being on set, I, I have this love-hate relationship because I'm much more efficient at my job exactly where you see me right now. I literally sit in front of my computer all day doing Zoom, emails, phone calls, texts, whatever. I'm super efficient when I'm at my hub. Um, but being on set is such a wonderful experience just just being a fan and no, you know, fan of movies and TV and production. And I never get tired of watching it all. 
And that's how you know, too, I think that this business is for you because, you know, being your own, you know, the, the crew crew, like they could be working 15 hour days, but like minimum, it's a 12 hour day. Even if you're just sitting there staring at the monitors or whatever. Um, and that's not for everybody. Um, but I just love it. So that's, and that's still a favorite part of my job. It's just harder now because I have a four and a half year old, I'm married. I, you know, it's so to figure out it all and the, and the stress of traveling is a little bit more, um, you just need more assistance. Yeah, no. Um, and besides traveling and being on set, you know, and this hasn't been in a while, but there was some fabulous trips that I got to go on as Dean's assistant that I don't even know if studios pay for that kind of thing anymore. But when we did the Patriot, um, cause I was Dean's second assistant during the Patriot with Mel Gibson. And that was my first onset experience. I lived in South Carolina for six months shooting that movie with Dean six days a week, wow. you know, 15 hour days. It was amazing. It was incredible. And then Sony sent us on this amazing international press tour, which Dean and Roland were used to, of course, you know, they did Stargate, <laughs> Independence Day, all this stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kid flying business class, <laughs> staying in the same hotels as Mel Gibson and Dean Devlin, going to these amazing dinners. Um, Germany, you know, so that there's been some, those are the perks. Um, yeah. That's, that's pretty that awesome. Was, yeah. It was highlights and obviously you meet really neat people. Um, I, you know, there was one, we distributed Rob Reiner's LBJ. And so I, you know, we were doing marketing, publicity, all this stuff, very much in touch with Rob Reiner. And I got to sit, I got to go to a lunch that we were doing with um, some press people and uh, just sit and have lunch with Rob Reiner and chit chat and stories and, you know, that, that That's kind cool. of stuff. That is really yeah. Cool. Yeah. There's definitely some cool moments. Well, what are some of the challenges that maybe are unexpected that as a layperson we wouldn't realize is a part of what you do that can sometimes make the 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 well the production uh, of of these things more difficult? Well, obviously, the the big one that we just dealt with was COVID. Um, that was the hardest thing we've ever had to deal with. Um, so. This time last year, we were in the thick of prep for um, Leverage Redemption shooting down in New Orleans. We had started prep in March, February, March, right when COVID was, you know, lockdown was happening. And it was all about this, these Zoom calls with everybody. Um, we knew we were shooting in New Orleans, but it was literally prepping and trying to set up a production while dealing with the daily news of COVID and working with the unions who hadn't even come up with their COVID plan yet. We were developing our own COVID protocols and guidelines because we weren't gonna stop the train from moving. We didn't have the luxury of, for all sorts of reasons, actor schedules, 
financing, uh, weather, um, which is another obstacle that comes up in New Orleans. But um, Dean wouldn't let us stop the train of prep for leverage and say, okay, we're going to wait for everything to be told to us. We proactively figured everything out with testing and safety protocols and the cleaning companies and the HEPA filters. And we did weekly, daily Zoom call, industry Zoom calls with other producers around the world, all different. I mean, it was, it was um, mentally exhausting and scary and difficult. Um, our line producer on Leverage Redemption, Brandon Lambden, who's great. He worked on Blood Diamonds with um, uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Africa, dealing with some intense stuff over there during his shoot. And he said, this was more difficult. And, and of course, you know, again, think about all the stuff Dean's done, the huge movies and, and all that. And um, this was the hardest thing we've ever done. So that's a, a worldwide huge, that's probably the biggest obstacle that could ever get thrown your way other than your like lead actor dying right. in the middle of a shoot or something. Luckily we've never had to deal with that. Um, but every day is little stuff and, and in different departments. I mean, every department during production is dealing with their, whether it's props, set deck, wardrobe, that, um, you know, where, where I sit and what I'm doing, there's, little obstacles, you know, if we're scheduling the EPK interviews with the actors, with Amazon, IMDb, and you're sending a crew down and dealing with the COVID protocols and all that, and you've scheduled it with your AD department to match up perfectly for when your actors have that sliver of time to escape from set, but they're still in full hair and makeup, so they look good for their interviews. <laughs> and then you get the call from the AD that, a huge thunder and lightning storm shut down our production for the rest of the day. So they've had to punt the rest of the day the next day, which messes up your, and the Amazon people are already in the air and you, oh, again, no. you have to pivot. You just, you just have to pivot and you can't, I'm not saying I don't get stressed because I definitely get stressed. Um, but sometimes things are so stressful that all you can do is, not laugh at it, but yeah, because you you just have to move forward and figure it out. That's what Dean always says too. Like, no is never the answer. I don't know. I can't figure it out. There's always a solution and that's what producing is. And maybe helping another department, you know, sometimes, I, I, sometimes I get calls and it's not even my expertise, you know, like technical, but I'm, I'm the sounding board for somebody who might be stressed about something else. And it might be in post-production or visual effects or something and whatever's happening. It's like, well, have you tried this? Or why don't we talk to Dean? I don't want to bother Dean about it. No, this would be, you know, this would be something he'd want to know about. And I bet you he'll answer you in one word and you'll know what to do. You know, it's just kind of helping. <laughs> No. Helping communication. When you said another department uh, asking, I, I instead envision you being near the set and say, we really need you to hold the boom mic. Uh, <laughs> You're not allowed to do that if it's a union shoot. No, no, no. <laughs> I learned that on the Patriot. Um, 
you know, I learned, I learned so much because I didn't really understand unions and what that meant. And I wanted to be helpful. And I think maybe one day I went to pick up one of the director's chairs, Dean's director chair to move it to the next end. That's no, because that's a union, that's prop department. That's a union job. Same with driving Dean, you know, like on one of the movies, I'll drive Dean. I'll pick him up in the morning. And you've got the Teamster department going, what? What did you just And <laughs> No, you won't. I'm like, okay. I'm that's, just trying to. That's got to be an interesting complication because I, I, I have to think that a lot of these, um, a lot of these things kind of spider vein and, and, and weave itself in some very complicated fashion so that you're, you're talking about pivoting. It's more than pivoting. It's like doing the matrix dodge to try and get between everything. I think one of the best um, analogies to make with uh, a production and is with the military. And it's not to say that, you know, making a TV show is as important as, you know, the military fighting a war or something, because obviously it's not. It's more, but it's more important. <laughs> um it's the same type of structure. You know, you have your general and your colonels and, you know, all that hierarchy. And in the military, you're the soldier, you're the foot soldier. You do what you're told. You don't segue. And that's how, excuse my language, shit gets done. And it is the same in production. Um, We have production meetings, then you have individual department meetings. And what's so interesting and outside people wouldn't get it because it seems so weird, but you'll be in a meeting and having like really intense conversations about the color of the wall or this piece of art or the prop, the size of the prop or what liquid is going to be in the actor's coffee during the scene. It's like all these things that, and it's a very, it's, and you only have seven days to make the show, seven or eight days to make the show. You're shooting while you're prepping the next one. It is a very stressful environment. Every, but everyone has to stay in their contained department and follow the rules and listen in the meetings. And because when you're on set on the day and then you hand off that prop that you're about to go shoot and it's the wrong size, that's hours of downtime to get the thing, um, which is money, you know? So Anyway, that to me, that's a good analogy because it, it follows the same kind of hierarchy, hierarchy structure of who's in charge. And that makes sense. I mean, you, you got you, you've got to you've got to have that sort of rigidity to a certain extent. Uh, there's a lot happening. Um, okay, so I have to ask. Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about leverage redemption already but we haven't gone into too much detail about it but you know being the huge fan that i am i have to ask (laughs) me too (laughs) so you said it's been in at least in process for quite some time what kicked off the idea to bring back the the show uh, in its new format no honestly dean's been talking about bringing it back ever since it got canceled on tnt it, it's true. It's we, first of all, we can't believe we got a People's Choice Award right after we got canceled. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, 
you know, we felt like leverage could have gone on forever. I mean, it's such the perfect show and ripped from the headlines and there's no shortage of bad guys or anything. Um, so it was, it's always, a it was always a conversation. And then, you know, again, we have these weekly development meetings and acquisitions meetings and depending on what mood Dean's in or who did he, who did he have a, did he just see Aldous somewhere, you know, through the years and, you know, we, we stay friends with everybody. Um, Beth Reesgraf, um ended up in, I think it was one or two episodes of Librarians. I can't really remember. And she also um, came up and, sh and shadowed Dean while he was directing during Librarians. So it was like, we always remain friends with our cast and um, Christian, obviously Christian Keene, we have another show with him, Almost Paradise. Christian might as well have an electric entertainment email address. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's so part of the family. Um, so there was a constant, and there was, um, you know, one of the, I can't remember the episode number. You probably know better than I do. And I do have all my, I'm pointing this way. That's my, if you can see my office, that would explain what I do. Cause I have bulletin boards up with just paper everywhere, but it's like all the log lines of the original leverage. Dean did that episode with just, Parker, Elliot, and Hardison, mm -hmm. um, which was made to be a potential spinoff right. for a new series. And so that was discussed for a while, you know, is there a show where it's just the kids, you know, and then this idea of Leverage International, which. I got so excited when I saw that and then had to had to have my uh, rug pulled out from under me. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not, maybe not. Um, we talk about a lot of spinoff ideas. Um, so really it's been discussed for a long time. And then, and then when the fire's hot and you're communicating with everyone and availability and finding the right partner, Amazon, IMDB TV mm -hmm. platform. Um, and that's what producing is too. It's really all the pieces have to come together. You have to help those pieces come together as best you can. But then a lot of it is luck, timing, luck, and, um, and the pitch. And um, Dean's probably one of the best pitch men <laughs> out there. <laughs> and, and that's, and the, now we're here. So again, how many years later is it eight? I don't want to think about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Can't even, it seems like just yesterday. So you say being a, a bit of a fan of it your, uh, yourself, what would you say contributes to the longevity of this particular piece of fiction? Why does it seem to strike a note that resonates with so many people? I think it comes down to the gist of the concepts, which is, you know, the group of criminals, ex-criminals, but they're criminals, breaking the law to help the underdog that, you know, how, how could you not want to see that then because the creative team behind it wrote so well and the actors that you pulled together again, you know, the original, and then obviously going into this new, because it's the same team, you know, John Rogers and Chris Downey came back and consulted uh, with Kate Rorick and Dean, for the new show. So it really, it's 
all those components have to come together because you you could have a great concept and the the writing not work or the actors or you know both or one or the other but it was it's the perfect storm of all those things and the tone you know the tone of the show is you know it's not funny but there are the funny moments i mean just the fans love those moments and i I even love, you know, just even the little things the actors have come up with amongst each other, um, you know, and, and you'll see it in Leverage Redemption. Um, the moments, you know, obviously Aldous and Christian have this really good relationship and then their characters, Hardison and Elliot, that started, they all hated each other in the pilot and then they obviously grew to love each other like a family and they are a family and... I, yeah, I just, I love them. I, it's so funny because I get sucked into watching the episodes. I have to watch the episodes for my job, for like clearances, for all sorts of things. And I start watching an episode and I'm 20 minutes in and I'm like, oh my God, I have to start over because I wasn't paying attention to the clearances. <laughs> I'm watching our actors. And I just, yeah, I love them. I, yeah, um, I actually just watched the finale, which unfortunately you're going to have to wait until, you know, the fall. Cause it's, you know, the first eight are premiering on July 9th and then the back eight will be the fall sometime, um, which I'm sure we'll be announcing the date soon, but I just watched the finale episode. I was supposed to be watching it for clearances, but I didn't watch it for clearances. I watched it and I, it's so good. And Dean directed that one, right? Yeah, yeah, Dean directed it. Well, and something that I always appreciated about um, the writing of the show, personally, is I always like a show that can, they always talk about uh, escalating um, levels of risk, escalating uh, difficulties as you go over, and having that be consistent but still um, uh, feel real. Because sometimes it can get out of out of balance and it, you just – you just lose that that emotional tie that can uh, that really yeah. puts it in your lap it's, in the first place. The writing is smart because you want the cons to be smart, and there's emotion to it all. And then there's just the funny. Even if it's a, it's sometimes it's just throwaway lines or, you know, Elliot's reaction to something or, you know, Parker has one of her quick. What what did she just say? Um, and Sophie and her characters. Um, yeah. And then things will be a little, you know, going like, really? Would that happen? But what Dean always says, and John Rogers too, where you know, there's so much stuff that happened in Leverage that I think, you know, the viewers probably were like, no, but it's real. Like John, <laughs> you know, Dean, John, Chris would do these interviews where, it is ripped from the headlines. These stories are real. Yeah. Um, so I end up dating myself, but when I try to describe this to other people, I say, "Well, it's kind of like the A Team meets Ocean's Eleven." Yes. Yes. No, you're not dating yourself because I watched the A Team on broadcast television when I was a kid. Yeah, um, with that. like probably the turn dial without cable. You know, with like a click, click, click television set. Um, it is, yeah. It's a team, and 
maybe a little equalizer, although that seems a little bit darker. Um, yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe a smidge of MacGyver thrown in for good measure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Making stuff. So, so um, okay. I, I want to ask about one more thing um, uh, while I've got you here and, and, and uh, you have a lot of projects in, in, um, in development. Like uh, you have another season of Outpost coming in, right? Is that correct? It's premiering on the CW on July 15th. So right now my life is consumed with the premiere of both those shows. Yeah. Outpost season four on the CW July 15th. What are you most excited about, about this new season of Outpost? You know what's so funny about Outpost? Um, if I didn't work on the show, it probably wouldn't be a show that I would seek out, especially in today's world of so much content. Like so many times I go to sit down and watch something and I'm overwhelmed with the choices. And a half hour later of just clicking through stuff, I go to bed. Um, because I, wa I work on the show, of course, I watch the show and I love the Outpost and I love... Um, obviously our lead actress, uh, Jessica Green, and she's not only, you know, gorgeous, but tough. I love anything with chicks that kick ass. I don't know if that's politically correct anymore, but that's one of my favorite things. Dean knows that. Um, and the world that they've built. Um, so I'm just excited to see where it goes. I hope we can keep it going for more seasons to come. Um, working with uh, Jonathan Glasner, the showrunner, and Kynan and Jason, the producers, has been really interesting. And again, it's, you know, jo uh, Jason and Kynan come from a small pr production company, too. And so they, they have that same mindset. And um, yeah, so I'm just excited to see. And I'm excited. I'm always excited to see what the fans think. Yeah. Uh, it's it's gotten a really good response from everything that yeah. I've seen, and yeah. that makes that gives me a little joy in what I feel has been a uh, a bit of a backslide in in a lot of television, uh, an overemphasis over the past decade or so on reality television, getting away from these fantastic worlds that that people get to create. Uh, it's 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 I think a, a a more intriguing way to escape your everyday life. Yeah, I and. You know, personally, I, I don't mind dark. I do watch, you know, I just watched Mayor of Easttown and all that stuff. I'm definitely into the true crime stuff, but I do think in general, like the Ted Lasso phenomenon, obviously it's nicer right now to watch lighter, fun fare that you can really escape and not go to bed with a nightmare. Right. <laughs> <You know>? Exactly. <laughs> And, and I feel that way, especially after having a kid, you know, I, even though I do like the thrillers and all that stuff, I was super excited when Dean decided to direct, to direct Bad Samaritan, because that's my cup of tea. That was not, that was thrilling, but yeah, um, I'm, I like to watch Family Fair, our stuff, Leverage. I think Leverage is like a perfect balance because there's, you know, we touch upon some serious stuff, but um, it's lighter. Yeah, and there's that 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 feeling of hopefulness that's still kind yes. of there. With everything that's bad that's happening, we can yeah. we can overcome. Find some good. Yeah, find some good in the world. There's good people out there that want to help. 
And that's true in real life. Yeah. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come on and talk with us and give us a little bit of a slice of what it's like to be you and uh, part of this fantastic company, uh, Electric Entertainment. If people want to follow your exploits, um, I know you have a, a Facebook page. Um, you know what? So I have to, I actually have a secret, I have secret social media accounts where I spy on things. Um, yeah, but I do have my official Facebook page. Um, and I just, it's so funny. I haven't been personally active. It's, it's more about promoting the show, but yeah, you can, you can find me. Well, we, we definitely will be keeping uh, an eye on things on the Pudding Guys side. And uh, again, just thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. My pleasure, Ken. Thank you so much. Thanks.